I would like to dedicate this satsang to all the incredible life forms who are now being affected, harmed, and destroyed by the catastrophic ecological disaster taking place in the Gulf of Mexico. It's a disaster, the effects of which are inconceivable and immeasurable. And we won't even have close to a clue for months to come. But it will affect ultimately everyone on this planet. There's a single ocean, a single ecosystem, and it's being massively destroyed at this moment. And it is a symptom of the pathological nature of the human ego in its present form and a proof of how urgent it is that we transform and transcend the ego at a collective level to ensure that these things will not happen again, to create a world in which such terrible events can no longer happen. And of course it's not enough to throw blame at the corporations involved who I would say declare their innocence in a rather disingenuous manner but also to throw blame on the US government is not sufficient or even the capitalist system or the present global greed for oil it goes much deeper than any of those elements of this event that are perhaps part of the proximate cause of the event but at a much higher context all of us are part of the very structure of maya of illusion of the collective ego that is guilty in total for our having come to this pass on our sacred planet whom we no longer experience as our sacred mother but simply as resources to profit from and the irony is that here at the moment when human beings feel so all powerful in their arrogance never have humans been more powerless never have we seen a sight of a superpower so impotent to protect its own beaches Never have we seen a whole world of human organizations from corporations to national governments to international United Nations governments, all of them helpless because of a destructive event that took place as a result not only of negligence, corruption and other human failings but as part of the inevitable structure of the current situation that we have created through the ego's own blindness to its own reality. And we must heal that. We have an obligation to heal that before we damage our planet any further. And damaging the planet is damaging ourselves. We are part of this global ecosystem. To the extent that we make our oceans a dead zone the land will become a dead zone and all of us who live on it will be breathing in the poison fumes that we have released from the depths of the abyss. 
And it's because there are poison fumes that have been released from the abyss of our own unconscious mind that are contaminating and poisoning the minds of every human being on earth today, that this is being reflected in the macrocosm. And so we do have power to purify the microcosm. And at that level, we can have an impact on the morphogenetic field of the entirety of the human reality today. And that's the only power that we have left to affect events. You know, I hear them say, well, this is something horrible, something horrible went wrong here. But something horrible going wrong is a daily event in our world. That's not unnormal. Horrible events have already gone wrong many times and will go wrong. This oceanic equivalent to Wall Street's global meltdown which is still on a rolling wave now, affecting Europe and Asia and, again, the entire global economy, which has just begun its own rumbling toward collapse. And we've had nuclear power plants in which something horrible has gone wrong, and it's inevitable that that will happen again. And we could multiply the list of places today where horrible things will inevitably go wrong because of how we have structured our reality. And of course, the weak link in all of these things that we do based on the arrogance of power is the unconscious mind of the human beings who have to work in these places. Because everyone has an unconscious mind that we do not control. And so we can think we can control nature, but we cannot control our own blindness. And if the manager had a fight with his wife the night before or had too much to drink and made a bad decision and didn't heed a red light on a board that was lighting up, these kinds of things, again, are daily events in a time in which the ego's capacity for a long attention span and a a, a capacity for responsible attentiveness to one's duties is now at a minimum because of of the attention disorders, the lack of loyalty, the lack of concern or care about anything that happens beyond one's own little bubble or after one is dead, there is no longer a sense of the unity of all life and the sacredness of it. And we have to bring that back. And we can't just give lip service to that. And it's not enough to put malfeasant corporate executives in prison. Not that that is going to happen anyway. But what has to happen is a resurgence of our capacity for divine love in which we recognize that we are all one. And we act with that kind of mindfulness that would never drop the ball in those kinds of situations and would never allow such situations even to come into being. And so we can look at it at this macrocosmic level and see that this is a symptom of what is going on at every level of life. And that's the problem. We tend to focus on the most macro insults to our environment, which are very distanced from ourselves, and not see that this is the result of millions upon millions of micro-events that happen every day in people's lives 
at the most intimate levels of connection with one another and even internally within one's own mind that then create a corrupt and negative environment in the family, in the society, in the, in the corporate structure, in the national structure, etc., etc. And it affects our relationships as a whole with nature. Let's take a very minor, small event. A man tells his wife, I'm going to go and visit my mother in another country. I'll be gone for a week. And he does it out of duty toward the mother. The woman sees the man as abandoning him and feels like this is screwing up with our relationship. The man doesn't understand what the woman's talking about. He is fulfilling a duty that he has. He is innocent. It's indefensible that she attacks him for this. And yet, is it? Is innocence even a defense, even in a small case like that? Even if the unconscious mind did not cunningly do this under the cover of a justifiable reason that was taking him out of the relationship or obligations toward the wife, is innocence a defense? I would maintain that it's not. Because even if one is innocent, one has created a rupture in a relationship of two people that will affect an entire family, it will affect all their friends, it will affect their community, it will affect their relationship to nature. The plants in the garden won't grow as well. And so is either the anger on the part of one or the refusal to recognize the, the damage on the part of the other defensible? I would say no. Any rupture of a loving connection is the problem. The relationship, the primary relationship must be protected always as a sacred whole through recognizing the reality of the other. Even if the reality of the other is a wrong one, even if it is a psychotic one, we must recognize that all realities, all human centers of thought and conception have a divine basis and they must be negotiated lovingly not slammed. And it is that capacity to create win-win solutions that can grow to the point where entire communities can feel a sense of trust, that there is guidance that is considering the well-being of all members and of all realities, which are concededly not ultimate realities. They are local coherences with a, within a vaster incoherence of the illusion of maya. Yes, because the reality of the supreme being is non-dual, is not made of these kinds of rupturable structures. But to get to that point means that I have to recognize that the differential centers of all consciousnesses are emerging out of the one center and I have to place myself in that one center that recognizes the sacredness of all in order to be able to deal with every being as an end in itself and as the same ultimate value that I possess. And it's when we share that and we recognize that supreme wholeness that occupies every point of this phenomenal plane. And it's just as important to be recognized in a shark that is dying in the Gulf of Mexico as it is to any other creature 
that we must recognize the divine nature of all beings, that we can then function with the appropriate sacred respect and consideration of the oneness that we are. And so it's in that capacity to heal the ruptures, not by defending oneself against others, because that just creates one more level of defense mechanism, one more level of alienation from the other. It's not trying to put oneself in the right that solves the problem. It's putting oneself within the context of every other being's right, in which there is a sacrifice of one's own egocentric relationship to the whole, into a truly holocentric capacity to understand every being and to relate to their context, no matter how alien it is to one's own ego. And we have the capacity and the intelligence to do that. But because of the current disdain that we have, not only for sacredness, but for the reality of others that we take only as possible attacks and impingements on ourselves, that we have each walled ourselves off from the ideas of the other. That's why people can no longer learn today. They don't want to be invaded by information that comes from outside. And so people remain very immature emotionally as well as intellectually because any new information is going to change them. And I don't want the world to change me. I want to stay in my little bubble and in my comfort zone, even if it's very uncomfortable, but not have to deal with the growing pains of accepting a reality that transcends my ability to control it. But as we have seen in this case in the Gulf of Mexico, control is an illusion. And all that you have done is projected out from this little bubble the very forces that will come back as karmic uh, lightning bolts to shatter that bubble with far more force and more negativity than if one had voluntarily surrendered it and opened the Red Sea of one's heart and allowed the flow of one's energy toward the promised land in which all of us are united in unity and love. So we have the power to do that, but we have to have the courage to do it. And that courage will only come from realizing that only on that basis can any of us survive. And even beyond the survival issue, it has to do with our relationship to absolute reality. A final judgment in which we will have to face a level of conscience that now we may be able to hide from and repress and deny. But there comes a point, and it may even come after death, but there comes a point in which there is a naked realization of all the ways in which we have failed ourselves. And in the failing of others, we have failed ourselves because we are all one. And the pain of that realization can be unbearable. This is what religions have tried to warn people about. Even though their constructs have been mythological in talking about burning in hell and final judgments and dharma raja and all of that. But they represent a psychological reality that is very real and unavoidable. And we must be wise enough to respond to reality 
with the purification of our own intentions and our own agendas so that there isn't a karmic backlash, whether it happens while we are alive or in the throes of our death agony or in some future incarnation or some between-life bardo that the Tibetan Buddhists tell us about. It doesn't matter, but there is no way to evade the long arm of karmic law. It will reach you wherever you are. And if only for that selfish reason, it's important to let go of and clean up one's act before the karmic spillage becomes catastrophic and there is no way to undo the damage. And so all of the spiritual traditions have been simply ways of helping you to clean up your own spills and stop staining the world with further ones and to be able to live as a vehicle in which the most beautiful energy can enter the world as a power of healing, a power of uplifting, a power of helping others to see the same divine nature that they have that has been occluded by these defense mechanisms and other layers of delusion. We have to see the world as it really is. That's what killing the ego means. It means letting go of your illusions that veil your ability to see the truth of what is. And that is what allows the Shakti to arise and to multiply, to be augmented to infinite levels. It's not that we need to receive it from outside. We are the Shakti. We are Shiva. We are the source of all the very infinite power that has created this universe. It's there in every one of us because we are all simply manifestations of that. But it is clouded over. And so what yoga means is to exist in the state of naked awareness, naked presence. And the nakedness obviously is not a physical one, although the Jains and others acted out on a physical level. That's not what it's about. But it means that your consciousness will not be covered over by egoic pretensions of separateness and difference and uniqueness and specialness and all of the ways in which we try to wall off our unity with all that is. But because every ego wants to maintain that specialness and that sense in which it is different and therefore justifiable in its own individual existence and desires and intentions, it is cheating itself of the bliss of the unity that comes from sacrificing. That very petty jouissance or pleasure that creates pain, that comes from an egoic sense of false victory or false mastery, that is purely within illusion and does not allow the incredible, infinite bliss of the harmonious realization of our oneness. That's what we are cheating ourselves of. And that ultimately is even more important than the life or death of this planet. Because human beings are not in control of that either. That's up to the supreme being. We did not create the life here and we cannot really destroy it. But we must be worthy of it, or it will not be given any longer as a gift, and it can be taken away. But it will be created elsewhere, because God is the God of life. 
But again, if it happens elsewhere, we will be there. We will be the participants in that drama. It's no one else. And we'll face the same issues, even if we find ourselves to be gray aliens on another planet one day, or on this one. It doesn't matter what form we're in. It doesn't matter what shape. It doesn't matter what level of intelligence either. Even if you come back as a bacterium somewhere, you are going to have to deal with the same basic issues. They may be in a a form that is less intelligible to us in our human form, but they they are happening. It's even the fact that every, um, uh, every creature is now recognized by the most recent theories of uh, biology, one of which it referred to as biosemiotics, that the entire universe is information. And all of the creatures are simply trading information. And ultimately the, the source of information and the way that it's transmitted is that of light. And it's not the light on this gross level that comes out of these blinding lights here, but the light that is on a subtle body level. That is the prana. It is the life energy. There's no difference. And it is love. And it is that that is exchanged that creates the entire complexification of this world of more and more forms of beauty that arise as the information level increases to allow the augmentation of structures and functions at a biological level. And you can see the same thing at the quantum level, where the indeterminacy and the free will is perhaps even greater. You never know what an electron is going to do from one nanosecond to another. Its freedom cannot be calculated. And yet human beings who think of themselves on top of the food chain have the least freedom today because we are stuck in patterns that we have identified with and that we have lost the free will to overcome. That's basically what any mental illness is, right? Anyone who perhaps, let's say someone goes psychotic, we'll take an extreme, It's someone who made an irreversible decision to tune out the world of common sense because it didn't make sense to them. But once they made that irrevocable decision, they no longer had the capacity to decide to become unpsychotic again. And the same way, once you make the irrevocable decision to gain an ego and to work through an ego consciousness, it's almost impossible to decide to no longer be an ego and to revert back to your true nature, which is Shiva. Brahman, Allah, Buddha nature, Christ consciousness, call it what you will. All of these terms are convertible into each other. Satyoga has nothing new to offer the world that wasn't present in every other spiritual tradition. It's just that they have forgotten the real meanings of those traditions within those traditions themselves and have forgotten the fact that they are all convertible discourses that refer to the same ultimate reality. So we are just here to remind people, you don't have to convert from one religion to another or one belief system of any kind, but become who you really are and don't live in a pretense or a false self that is based on myths, fantasies, and structures of of hope and desire and fear that are all based on illusion. Find the real core And you will find that that core is like an electric current 
that has an infinite amount of energy in it. There's a, one of those uh, uh, little things you can turn the dial up so your kundalini can rise and reach infinite levels. You can become a medium through which the divine power flows if you wish to be. Or you can shut it down very, to a very low level and be a zombie. It's entirely up to you. But that's what free will is really all about. And the more that the current flows, not only is there a, a life energy flow that will bring health to the body, but there's a flow of intelligence. The frontal lobes and other parts of the brain that have not been active are activated and coordinated and integrated so that our intelligence levels can be augmented. And you don't need to take drugs to do this. The brain itself will produce whatever chemicals it needs to give you the states of consciousness that will support this higher intelligence. The capacity of the Atma or this naked presence that is the intelligence behind the cosmos will arrange things in whatever way is necessary to support the growth of the manifestation of that cosmic consciousness to appear here in the phenomenal world itself. And that's the function of a human being. But we haven't been fulfilling our functions because we have settled for a life of a consumer of mundane pleasures, of living for less than the ultimate values that we are capable of. And therefore we don't get the ultimate powers or cities that we are capable of. And so we have to decide, who am I? What is my relationship? Not only to this phenomenal plane in which we are all connected as part of the whole ecosystem of nature, but in relation to the vertical plane of the absolute reality and all the intermediary planes between them of angelic realities, shamanic realities, realities that are hyperdimensional, far beyond what the five senses perceive in this particular plane. It's all available to us if we want to grow into the largest conceivable context of being. But if we want to stay in a tiny box in which life is much simpler and seemingly controllable, but actually not, and catastrophic in its ultimate results of just choosing blindness over knowledge. But it's our choice. And we have to decide this individually, as a community, and collectively, at every level of the reality in which we are participating. Does this all make sense to anyone? Because it is of urgent necessity that we accomplish this transformation of our consciousness and return to the source of the actual infinite presence that each of us is a manifestation of. And that we do it now before we make ourselves extinct. <laughs> <laughs>